Hey guys, Brian here. Um, just a quick thing before the show. I forgot to hit record like I'm doing now on my mixer program. So I didn't actually record a separate audio file uh, of the podcast this week because it was 5.45 in the morning and I was half asleep. And I apologize for that. Uh, so the audio is actually ripped from the YouTube uh, video of this episode. So if there's anything missing or anything, I apologize uh, it should sound fine, but I just wanted to come on beforehand and say sorry that I forgot to record the audio real quick. But I still hope you enjoy what is ultimately a great podcast with the developer of Boss Constructor. And thank you for listening. Good morning, my friends. Well, morning for me. And welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is no one, because it's early, and, uh, and yeah, so sadly, Hunter and Jim could not join us, because it's a morning podcast, 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 and they're already at work, so it's just me this morning, with a guest, joining me from Bonn, Germany, oh god, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna butcher it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna totally fuck it up. It's Dr. Mirko Seite. Seite. No, I did it. I screwed it up. You just told it to me. How do you say no it? How do you say it? How do you do it? How do you say it? Uh, Mirko Seite. Seite. Oh, that's what's. Oh, yeah. Seite. Uh, no welcome, worries. welcome, Mirko. Uh, or do you prefer Doctor? There's Mirko. No, 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 no. <laughs> what is your doctorate in? Let's just let's just get that out of the way. What's your doctorate in? It is in economics, actually. So uh, I did oh. a PhD in economics after um, doing computer science and uh, yeah, economics, I guess. Is that your uh, is that your day job? Uh, yeah, exactly. So I work at a research institute where I do like uh, micro simulation data models and stuff. So. Yeah, that's, I guess, where I come from. That kind of explains a lot about the game we're going to talk about today, because there's a <laughs> lot of, there's a lot of complex modeling, uh, in this game. Uh, folks, we're talking about the, uh, it's, it's a space exploration combat spaceship building game called Boss Constructor, which, uh, left early access on Steam, um, about a month ago, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, about a month ago, it was in early access for a while, about a year or so, I think. Maybe about a year. Um, it 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 started early access in November 2014, and it oh, was God. like two years of two early years. access. So oh my God, that was long longer actually. than wow, that was longer than I thought. Um, so congratulations on making it out of early access. Uh, how did you find the early access period for you? Because I'm uh, I've, I say this a lot, but in talking to a lot of developers, we find it's a double-edged sword, where some people yeah. have odd expectations about it's a finished product. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, what? <sighs> Sorry. So, how did you find? Uh, how did you find the? Um, how did you find? How did you find the early access period for you? Actually, I found it really, really nice and really helpful. Um, I mean, um, many people in the community were really helpful and uh, provided a lot of feedback and testing. And um, I think they were all really very helpful and um, also understanding when there were issues. And um, I had actually a really great experience doing early access. So um, I think um, I would definitely do it again. Um, in retrospect, I think uh, I should maybe have had a bit of a more detailed plan for doing the game. So maybe entered like a few months later um, into early access to do it again. Um, in retrospect, I think uh, I should maybe have had a bit um, of a more detailed plan for doing some the game. audio feedback here. Is it on my Sorry, end? sorry. I'm having some, we're having some Twitch issues I'm trying to fix as I'm listening to you. Ah, okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, but um, I think in a way the situation I had was especially in the sense that uh, I have income from my day job. So, um, you know, basically I could have gone on in early access until the game was finished, no matter what. So um, I guess there was this as a sort of security, which made it 
comfortable, I guess. That, yeah, no, it's 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 weird because like you have an idea for a game. I've I've seen a lot of developers do this where they have an idea for a game, they either they don't want to say too much and get people's hopes up. It's it's or 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 they do say too much, and then and then people have weird expectations. It's it's not the it's not yeah. the it's not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, um, yeah. sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, I think from all the developers I know, um, there is nobody out there who is, you know, out to just take people's money and one way or stuff like that. But um, I think if you have never made like a big software project like a game before, um, it is really hard to estimate how long it will take you and how much it will cost you to actually finish a game and implement all the features you promise. Yeah, and I also agree. Um, it is really tempting to try to stand out by, uh, you know, promising a lot of uh, features and uh, high production value, which you might not be able to deliver in the end. So now, yeah. um, how did you find visibility for your game during and maybe even after early access? Because there was a game called um, Offworld Trading Company, and uh, it's a great it's a great game. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a fabulous game. Yeah. But they found yeah, yeah. that because they went into early access, they got a lot more press attention when they went first into early access and when they were finally released, they could barely get apparently any press attention because that's not as big a deal apparently or they're they're considered already released so no one cares. So how did you find um how did you find main- gaining or maintaining visibility during your early access period? Ah, well, that's actually a really difficult question, and uh, most other developers I've talked to are not really experts in marketing or PR either. So, yeah. Um, yeah. in a way, we're all like guessing what to do. Um, Can I say one thing real quick? I am yeah. an expert in internet marketing. I've been work. I've worked in search engine optimization for for twelve years, and even I don't fully understand it when it comes to marketing for myself. You know, so I, I, it's, it's a weird thing where I, you can market for other people, but when it comes to doing it for yourself, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I do is um, a bit of PR, you know, uh, writing to YouTubers, Twitch streamers and stuff. Um, and um, the response rate is really low, but um, occasionally, you know, you are successful and somebody covers your game. But other than that, um, I've also tried a lot of marketing using Google AdWords and stuff like that, but uh, just not very successful. So I guess really the large majority of people um, discovering and buying the game come organically from the Steam store page and uh, see the game either in their recommended games list or, um, you know, when it is on a sale. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it is nice that Steam understands that this is a problem because they are like they just did a big update, which is trying to help with discoverability, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 that's good because I don't know if I don't know if you saw I saw some story or some chart where they said that um, more games were released in 2016 than like any other year on Steam. Like yeah. so many games came out on Steam. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to an extent, it is really frightening um, because uh, it sort of restricts the time frame where you are in the list of new games or decreases the chance of being on the visibility stuff. Um, But at the same time, I think that uh, most of the games which come out now and, you know, which are added to the games which we would have in a uh, year in the past are relatively low production value and um, more of a mass market thing. So I, I think like for specific titles, if you think like um, RimWorld, for example, there isn't really that much competition there. So I'm not really too worried about it, actually. Yeah, RimWorld is a... Is a it, I suck at that game so bad. I've tried it. It's so hard. It i so terrible at it. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about your game. We haven't really talked about your game yet. It's called Boss Constructor. Now, 
I was talking about this a little bit before the show, but I, I first off, let me say it's great that all these space games are coming out. I did not anticipate this at all a few years ago when I started the blog. It's wonderful. Thank you all the developers who are making all these space games. But if I see another space game with the word void in it or something, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. So your game is called Boss Constructor. How did you come, come up with that name? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> it's really funny about the name because some people immediately get where it comes from and other people don't get it at all. And um, actually, the, the idea behind this was um, that in many of the old uh, arcade shooter games like R-Type, you'd have these boss enemies at the end of the level. And um, occasionally, they look really like... Um, you know, stuck together from different pieces. And um, yeah, I guess that's basically what you do in Boss Constructor. So you start with a small ship and eventually build your really um, big boss of a ship, I guess. So yeah, um, but uh, I mean, in retrospect, I should have, you know, asked more people if they actually, um, you know, get the meaning and <laughs> see where I'm going with it. I know, I didn't I didn't even have to get the meaning. I I dig the name. I just I like how it's unique because it is unique. I I just didn't really understand the uh, origin. So folks, if you're not um familiar with Boss Constructor, it is is a pretty comprehensive package. I have to say, it's it's got so much to it. That's that's awesome. It's got like it's got single skirmishes, got massive campaigns. Um how would you describe your own game to people who may not know uh, may not know about it. Um, well, it's basically a game about building your own spaceship. Uh, there is an exploration mode where you start with a simple small ship and um, gradually build up uh, your ship by destroying enemy ships, buying modules, trading, and um, yeah, discovering inc- increasingly more powerful modules. They're like. Uh, 70 different module types, which are all, or most of which are pretty different and unique. And, um, yeah, there are also some um, extra game modes where you can, uh, you know, compete on a leaderboard in a given um, challenge setting, or you can set up your own skirmish, or there's also an evolution mode where you can have some sort of an artificial intelligence driven evolution happening with uh, different ship designs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, I did love just... Can you make a screensaver out of the evolution mode? Can you just do that? That'd be, <laughs> that'd be the best screensaver. Guys, seriously, this evolution mode is like you pick a... If I'm remembering correctly, you either you pick a ship and then the AI just goes for it. And you just kind of watch the AI fight itself with, all the, with these different ship types. And it's really awesome to watch because the AI in this game is pretty good. I gotta say, um, in terms of the uh, in terms of fighting against the campaign and whatnot. So let's talk about the biggest part of the game, which is the uh, the um, expedition mode. I believe you call it. Um, that's the uh, fo- that's this th- folks. This uh, this this is like a mix of like FTL. And like Lego building, basically you're given a ship. You start off with a small ship, like like he was saying, and then like you could find parts to add to it in between levels, and you could research parts to to uh, to unlock. And when you said seventy types, it it's not seventy parts; it's seventy types. So there are hundreds of parts. But seventy different types. Like there's and there's there's the typical engines and whatnot. But there's also flak cannons and other types of cannons and and uh, uh, last shogun. What makes it different than that game where the ga- ship turns against you? That's called defect. Uh, basically, what makes this game different is one. It's got a multitude of modes. You can build a ship and then test it out in a random skirmish map with a different objective every time. Or you could start with a smaller ship and go in the in this randomly generated galaxy with dozens of different sectors that you can jump to, and each one has a different objective. And um, the, the expedition mode's fascinating because it's this huge map and you just jump from all these different sectors and different factions on different... Like, there is... Let's talk about the expedition mode because there is so much going on there. Where did where did that mode come from, and and how many different moving parts 
are there to the expedition mode? Because you have different ships, different factions, different sectors, different objectives for different sectors. There's This is the real meat of the game, and it's just huge. And it is different than Spaz, because Spaz is a different, like, Spaz is a much more dynamic open map where you're just flying around real time whereas this you're jumping from sector to sector and the sectors are where the real time combat and objectives happen but it makes the map much larger as a result in this game Mm -hmm. so let's let's talk about the expedition mode how did that come about and how much how many like different parts are working to make that Mm -hmm. mode work to make that mode happen Okay, so before that, I would like to add that um, Boss Constructor also has like a really uh, more in-depth uh, physical simulation of stuff. So um, yeah, that's the way true. you build your ship and um, and lay out your su- stuff and where you put your engines has a way more severe effect than in sparse where it's mainly very arcadey and easy to approach. Uh, right, I forgot setting. to mention that. I'm totally sorry. Yeah, guys, the physics yeah. model. No, fought- no worries, no worries. The physics modeling in this game is fantastic. Like, you knock an engine off one guy's ship, it'll just be spinning, spinning, spinning. It's so great. It's so good. So, yeah, talk about the physics engine first, and then we'll go expand into the... Um, what engine are you using to run the game? Is it, like, Unity or something, or is it a custom-made mm-hmm. engine? Um, this is actually written in Java. It is using um, a game really? library which is called um, yeah, which is called um, Slick Two D, which um, you know provides an interface to OpenGL and all the graphic stuff. And um, I also uh, use uh, JBox Two D, which is uh, the physics engine which I use. So basically, um, every module is simulated um, in a sort of semi plausible way. So for example, if you fire a thruster, the um, impulse will be given to that specific part of your ship, which uh, results in this complex uh, physicky um, and, um, I guess, comprehensive um, behavior of the ships. And um, there's also some, you know, algorithm going on, which helps you to control your ship by um, assigning the correct keys and commands to your ship and to each module in respect. So uh, basically, you can bind every key on your keyboard to a specific module of your ship um, for like really complex uh, behaviors, or you can let the game uh, guess in a way what um, the correct way to control it should be. Yeah, I, d- I did like that. Um, when you're building your ship, like you said, you can assign each key, each module to each key. So if you want to go crazy and have like five engines and have one key for each engine, you can do that. I didn't do that because that would, that would, that, I, I can't, I don't have that kind of coordination, but if you want to, you can. So I don't think we've dealt with a lot of games written in Java. What are, what are some of the challenges to writing a game in that language? You, because a lot of the games we deal with are like Unity or Unreal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are like or, or so what are some of the challenges of of writing a game in Java? Like, does that make it easier in memory, harder on memory? You know, I, I well, one, I guess what's the, I guess the first question is why Java? Why that? One? <laughs> okay, so. Um... First of all, uh, I think uh, Java has the advantage of being really cross-platform, so it takes no effort to port it to Windows, Linux, and um, Mac, of course. And, um, well, I guess the real reason was that Java is the language I feel most comfortable at. And um, it also, I mean, I get stuff done really fast. uh, I think the biggest challenges are that uh, if you want to do more complex graphics stuff and uh, three-dimensional stuff, it gets really, really, uh, really, really hard and there's a lot of work involved. So um, I actually intend to look into Unity um, next. So um, so far, I've only you know played around with it a bit and not really um, delved too deep into it. But um, I feel like... Uh, I've sort of come to the uh, boundary of what you can reasonably do in in Java without having some sort of complex framework. So, yeah, um, 
Wow. I think um I think um I can I can add maybe that um for two dimensional games I'm actually pretty comfortable doing it in in Java and um using some complex libraries to do the graphics. Um so if I were to make like uh, a complex um, simulation or economy or whatever game then I might actually still do it in Java. However, I also realized that um Many people, you know, expect games to be to be three dimensional today and um, to have that, some sort of. That's not necessarily true. There are a lot of really solid two D uh, games out there, like Reassembly, um, mm-hmm. Unending Galaxy. You know, I mean, there is something to be Soul Trader. There is something to be said for making games top down two D. I mean, I find something like. Uh, there are, uh, 3030 Death War, Endless Sky, Knave, uh, there are quite a few of them, and people love them. I mean, um, uh, because some people don't want to deal with that third dimension, you know? I mean, and also making a three, three, and also making a 3D engine can be tough, so, yeah, there ain't nothing wrong. I mean, people still play sub, what was that game? Sub, not subsonic, um... Subterranean? Subcontinuum? Continuum. Continuum. Uh, it's it's a top-down, like, arena space battle game that came out in the 90s. Hmm? Um, and people are still playing that one because it's hmm? still popular and because there's something approachable about a top-down 2D game. And someone on YouTube is telling me to say something, and no, I'm not doing that because I'm not a fool and I'm not an idiot. So, <laughs> even though you said um, please, Eric, I appreciate you saying please. I'm not doing that because that's just silly. Yeah, Star Sector. Star Sector is another great 2D game. So there's definitely room for good 2D top-down space games. Um. But I would not. I would. I was going to guess Unity for this thing. So in Java, uh, does that make writing a physics engine for it more difficult, or maybe does it make it easier than maybe some other engines? Because, like I said, we deal with a lot of other engines. We don't deal with Java. So is it is it like is it a different physics engine that you tacked on to Java, or did you make the physics within Java? Yeah. So. Um... <laughs> Actually, in the development of Boss Constructor, I started uh, doing the physics myself, but uh, actually I vastly underestimated how complex this is. So um, in like the first prototypes of the game, uh, basically there was sort of a mesh on top of your ship. And whenever you bump into something, this mesh would get deformed. So you had like really, really, you know, trashy modules by the end of a mission. It was sort of funny. But... Um, the problem with physics is that uh, there are so many different cases that can occur. So, for example, um, uh, I guess the main problem with coll- is collision handling. So if after a simulation step, several ships uh, intersect, for example, what do you do? And um, there are so many different cases that can occur, and it's really, really hard to implement those all by yourself. So... Um, after some time, I uh, switched to JBox2D, which is um, a physics engine for 2D uh, worlds, I guess. And um, actually, the transition and um, working with it was actually really easy. So basically, um, you define different bodies and uh, fixtures, which are just the collision shapes. And um, basically, it's relatively simple. Um, I mean, there are some um, occasional problems which occur when um, ships get destroyed and objects get deleted and stuff. But um, other than that, it's actually um, really, really easy to use. And um, yeah, I was actually quite happy with that. I I don't, I mean, coming back to your question, um, I'm not necessarily sure that this part would have been easier in Unity. Um, uh, Actually, Unity also uses the same um, physics library. Um, I guess it's just a different way of um, accessing it. Oh, that kind of makes sense. 
I mean, it it kind of fascinates me because I know nothing about game develop. I at least I knew nothing about game development when I started this uh, all this this podcast and whatnot. And I have learned that you don't have to have a like not everything is in one engine. I I always thought everything was in the engine. Like I didn't know that you could bolt things on, yeah, <laughs> like big Lego pieces to each other, like. Uh, physics engine here, graphics engine there. Uh, you know, I had no mm-hmm. idea. It makes it sound makes it sound more difficult. Honestly, like how do you get multiple engines like that to work together? Um, well, I mean, it's not really multiple engines. It is um, multiple libraries, I guess is the correct. Uh, oh, like term. scripts? It- like there's scripts for like the same engine, or are there scripts that multiple engines can use, like that kind of thing. Mm, I, I can. I guess you can imagine it like sort of a box which has provides a definite functionality. So, for example, a physics functionality, and um, these boxes do not really interact with each other, but you can access each box and use the functionality it provides. So, in the physics example, you have to sort of interpret your your world in a way that. Um, allows the physics engine to understand it. Um, and after that, you can use the functions of the physics library to, um, well, simulate the world in each frame, uh, simulation frame, and just translate the results back into your in-game world, so to speak. I should right. add that it's probably not the most efficient way in some some places to do it like that, but... Um, I think even if you do do it in Unity, it's um, on a technical level, it is pretty much the same. Oh. Right. Now let's talk about the actual gameplay. So um, I don't know if I've mentioned. I, I don't know if I told you. I don't think I told you, but I usually hate building ga- ships. I, I I can't stand it. I want nothing to do with it. I just want to fly them. I don't want to. I don't want to spend time putting stuff together. I just want to go out there and kill. You know. So it's rare when a game comes along that actually makes the building fun. And I got to say your game the the way the way you've made building a ship is very not effortless, but if I would maybe efficient is the best word because it's mm-hmm. it's not like most games that try ship building for to me are very tedious. Like, oh, I don't want to have to put two engines. Just kind of a mirror thing or something like god. Or like, or too complicated, like Kerbal Space Program. But, mm-hmm. but with your game, I gotta say, I really appreciate how much, how much work, obviously went into the shipbuilder. So let's talk about that for a minute, because um, that's clearly one of the big core elements of the game. So, how, 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 like, how much work did you do on making the interface for the shipbuilder as awesome as it is? Because it has all the detail, like you can make different colors and you can put all these different things on it. But it also, for someone like me who doesn't want to spend a lot of time, you can just go bolt, 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 done. So how much work did you put into the shipbuilder? Because it's definitely evident that you put a lot of work mm-hmm. into it. But like how – like was that most of the development time, would you say? Or like – because it it's such a big part of the game. Like how much work yeah. was put into this? Yeah. I guess in total, it's about like one third of the time of the total development, I think, yeah, making the sense. editor. And um, I mean, I've tried many different approaches and um, I've actually re- recently made a short video showing some of the very early game prototypes and uh, how making boss constructors started. And um, the early editor prototypes were really, really complicated and bizarre to use. So <laughs> there was, I guess, a lot of trial and error and uh, a lot of evolution in, in getting the editor to the level where it is now. Um, I mean, for some players, um, you know, judging by some reviews and so, it is still too complex. So you even want a, a more simplistic editor. But at the same time, I think that making it more simple or, you know, eliminating more options to build your ship would make it too uninteresting and um, remove a lot of what makes the game interesting. Um, I think 
what also is a big help is that the uh, key binding um, of your modules is autom is largely automatic and works pretty fine. So um, players do not really need to hassle with uh, assigning commands, which can be a pain if you have a complex ship, which might help. And yeah, I think one um, recurring question is uh, whether I want to allow module stacking so that you can build modules on top of other modules. But um, this is one of the features um, I would not like to do just because it would add so much complexity to the editor. Yeah, yeah so I, I guess mean, it's, it's... It's already so, such a 2D game. Why, why kind of fudge that by adding a... Like being able to stack things on top of other things? Like that just... That, that would make it needlessly complex. Like how would you see that in the editor? Like would you have some kind of transparency... You know, like how how would yeah, you even yeah. how would you even do that? You know, yeah, exactly, I, I exactly. Know. I don't know. And also, it is. Um, I think it's always pretty funny because many players um, estimate the effort to implement a feature very differently than you as a developer will do. You're right. So, you're right. You're, I, I you're mean, totally for, right. For, for a player, it might not seem such a big deal, but. Um, the problem with module stacking, for example, would be that it would add so many different cases. So like you would have to, like you said, um, make it visually um, comprehensible. You would uh, change, need to change the UI behavior to allow the player to select the modules. You would have cases where like one of them, one of the stacking modules would get destroyed, but not the other one. And so many different, um, it branches out into like a huge mess of complexity. So on, yeah, on the other hand, other features, which um, many players think would be a huge deal, actually like can be implemented in a few minutes. It's actually really funny sometimes. Yeah. I, th I think it does a great job of merging simplicity with complexity. Like, like I said, someone like me can just be like, bolt, bolt, bolt. Oh, that looks good. Whatever. It's workable. Go. You know, but if someone wants to tweak all that stuff, they can, which is really nice. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really good mix. And I have to say, I really appreciate, uh, how much work went into the shipbuilder. Cause like I said, I can't, I usually can't stand building stuff, but there are a few games like yours where it's actually kind of fun to Lego some good stuff up and, <laughs> and uh, go out there and shoot stuff. Now, the real fun Thank for you. me was the expedition mode, and I want to talk about that. So the expedition mode <coughs> oh, excuse me, is a randomly generated galaxy each time with random uh, sectors. So, like, it, it kind of fascinates me because there's so much going on in the expedition mode. I mean, not only do you have sectors with varying objectives – each with their own ship and their own ships and UI and whatnot. But you also have different factions controlling different parts of space. So uh, I've never gotten too far in the expedition mode because I always get killed fairly early on because I'm, I'm not good at top-down space games. I love them, but I'm not good at them. Um, <laughs> like at all. Uh, oh, and someone on YouTube, uh, Martin, says uh, as a fellow uh, indie game uh, studio employee. He says, keep doing an awesome job. So good job. Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I, I, I really love the expedition mode. So let's talk about that. Like what, what is going on in the expedition mode? Like what is the ultimate goal and like how many different parts are there to the expedition mode? Okay. So I guess the basic story is that there is a, a race of, um, evolutionary artificial intelligence um, called the von Neumann who have begun invading and taking over the galaxy and uh, over the course of the game you basically try to reclaim the galaxy by um, helping out the different human factions so there are basically eight human factions so humanity has spread out into the galaxy and uh, split up into different groups based on shared beliefs and religion and um, you know ethics i guess and um, 
You can uh, trade with each of these factions, uh, buy modules, improve modules, and so on. And um, in the course of the game, you will you know, help these factions beat back the von Neumann and in the end, maybe you will be able, you know, if you manage to get that far, you will be able to save humanity by eliminating the von Neumann threat. Yeah, so that is, um, I guess, the main uh, idea of the story mode. So um, currently there is no real interaction between the factions. So uh, besides uh, completing missions for the factions and increasing your standing and getting access to better stuff, um, there isn't too much actually happening. So, um, yeah, I should add that. So not oh, to get... That's fine. Not to there's, create there's, too high expectations. There's plenty else going on. Now, the way I, when I was playing it, 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 it felt to me kind of like one of those persistent roguelikes in that you'll play a little bit, you'll unlock, you'll die, but you'll unlock stuff you can use on your next go, which is where I think the research, uh, that's research, right? I think that's the, uh, where the research element comes in, where you can unlock, uh, more modules <laughs> as you go. So, uh, how does, um, how does how does the research element work? Because I played with it a little bit, but I just I didn't play with it too much because I just wanted to get back in there and kill. But basically, it looked like as you play, you can un- you you can unlock modules that you can get from other ships. So is it like exactly. when, when you destroy other ships, if you get the modules, you you then unlock them? Is that how that works? Exactly. Ah, exactly. So basically, there is like a. Um, Consistent progression in that sense. So when you collect a module in any of the game modes, it gets researched and every module comes in different variations. So there are like, like in Diablo, there are like high quality versions of modules, which, for example, weapons which have a higher fire weight or more energy efficiency or higher range stuff. And, um, once you have discovered them and researched them, you can use them in the editor and build your own ships using them. Or you can also trans, um, you know, transfer it back into the exploration mode by building a new starting ship using the modules which you have researched. So there is some sort of consistent, uh, persistent progression in the game, but it's not very, um, you know, the exploration mode doesn't really get easier because you're still limited in how big your starting ship can be. So, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, you can, you can definitely... Uh, you can you can play around all you want, but you can't, like... Someone made a Defiant from D-Space 9 in the workshop. And by the way, this, this game has workshop support. You can bring in ships right from workshop, but you can't... A lot of them are too big to start with the exploration mode in, but you can play with them in skirmishes and stuff. Um... And so, yeah, the, a lot of those ships are way too big. Um, but I think I read recently that you're going to be able to allow uh, small enough ships from the workshop to be able to be used in the uh, ex- exploration mode. Has that been implemented yet, or is that something you're uh, you're working on? Um, you mean like uh, bigger ships in general? Or? No, no. I think I read that um, if someone makes a small enough ship in the workshop and it's it's below the required start ah, yes, requirement. Yes, yes, yes. Um that is actually already implemented, I think. Oh great. Um, it, oh, great. It, it should have been in the latest patch. Uh, let me just check. Uh, yeah, I was going through the Steam forums and I was really happy to see how generally positive uh they were, which is not always the case for a lot of games. Um, <laughs> but the, the it was mostly people being constructive and suggesting ideas and trying to be helpful to each other. So it was really nice to, uh, <laughs> it was really nice to see, uh, such positivity in the steam forums. Now, yeah, this mm-hmm. game does have a uh, workshop support built in and there are already lots of ships in the, in the workshop, which is great. That shows a lot of interest, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I, I think a large part of the, uh, generally positive community and the positive reviews are that um, I've, you know, been really open to community feedback and suggestions and we've also had a very consistent way of working on the game. So uh, like 190 patches out now and um, 
it's usually like one patch a week. And uh, I think many people really appreciate the uh, sort of steady progression the game has seen and also that their problems are taken seriously and um, that their suggestions are, you know, not always, but uh, often implemented into the game. Uh, yeah, I will, I will tell you what, um, one way that, that helps me with visibility is constant updates. Um, because I look at that little, I I go to steam every day and look at what was, what the, uh, the downloads were, you know, cause I'm like, Ooh, what games have been updated today? It's like Christmas, you know, you know, like, Ooh, the of the awakening just got an update. I wonder what that's about, you know? So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's work, but yeah, I've noticed that that's another way to, to maintain visibility of your game is just to keep updating it. And yeah, constant updating also does set a good expectation. Even if, a, even if a patch fixes one or two bugs to show that you're dedicated enough to keep working on it like that, that definitely shows a level of, um, commitment that, uh, some developers just don't have. Oh, the video for Thank you. <laughs> well, I should add, like I said, that uh, I think all developers sort of aim to do this, and um, it, it's not like people developers don't don't want to do it or are lazy or so. But uh, I think that many just get overwhelmed at some point, and I think it is really really easy to uh, burn out doing game development or get frustrated in the process. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this is often also, I think, sort of not really talked about um, the psychological aspect of game development. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Like you, you like you, like you said, you had a consistent schedule of updates and whatnot. Does that help you uh, when it comes to motivation and maintaining a positive attitude? Is is that one of the things you find helpful? That prevents you from getting that kind of burnout because you don't seem burned out. So, uh, did you? I don't want to assume. Did you? Did you uh, go through any kind of period of burnout during development? If, if you don't mind me asking. Um. Yeah, uh, it wasn't exactly burnout. I think there was one period where I wasn't really, like, let's say half a year into early access, where I wasn't really sure in which direction I wanted to go. Like, do I want to add stuff like multiplayer or do I want to add, uh, like, complex interactive mission structures or I want to, you know, that was sort of, uh, I think, a different, difficult phase in the development. And um, then a bit later when I was sort of, you know, in this, it will never get finished, it will never be done uh, sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, state. But on the other hand, um, like I said, since I did not really have like a time or budget constraint, um, in those cases, I always had the option of just, um, you know, taking two weeks off and, um, you know, playing some games or um, having a look from the distance at the current state and going back to it. And also I should say that um, many of the players were really, really supportive and a lot of the positive feedback you get. I mean, like there are so many people who write emails to you just, you know, how much they like the game and um, stuff like that. And that is really, really motivating. And I'm very grateful for, yeah, for the people who supported the game's development in that way as well. I gotta say, I appreciate your uh, your candor in, uh, in this because... That's an element of game development we usually don't talk about. Um, it's I, I usually one I kind of don't think about it, but two, it, even when I do, I, I'm not sure I want to bring it up because that's a little personal. Is the psychological toll that game development can take on a person? Because it kind of is a grind, isn't it? You're just grinding away at code. Mm-hmm. You know, you're grinding away at code, and and you're trying yeah. to chip away till you get that that statue of David that's inside the marble. Um, so, uh, so I can, mm-hmm. I, I can understand, you know, it could, it could definitely weigh down on a person. So I appreciate, appreciate your candor in that. And it, it sounds like you had a good mix of 
not putting too much pressure on yourself uh, by not having a uh, like a release date, for example, uh, plus having a solid community, plus allowing yourself a break every now and again, which is for stuff like this. That's super important, you know, allowing yourself to step back. And go, hey, I need to just walk away for a week, you know, and just yeah, yeah. enjoy enjoy another game for a little while. Um, so I appreciate that. That's that's super important because it really it's you, you you watch especially now with all these space games being developed. Sometimes the developer will just fall off the face of the planet, you know, or sometimes the developer will like not say anything for a while and then come back. Yeah. Uh, you know, all angry or whatnot. It's it's really sometimes it's really disheartening seeing these developer stories that turn yeah. that turn negative. And and I get it. It's 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 tough. I mean people people make the make people make these games not only because they're making games they want to make, because they wanna eventually like make a living at it and that's that's hard. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's hard. So I think too many developers think um, once they get through Greenlight and uh, once they get their game on Steam, they are pretty much done. But actually, that's like where all the stress begins because then you have people who have actually paid for your game and who have the right to get the full game at some point. And uh, I think if your game ends up only getting like, I don't know, 500 buyers or so, you will end up in the situation where you owe them a game because they paid it, but exactly. you do have nowhere the means to complete it. And I think that's what what can be really, really hard on on people. Your uh, gre- your mention of Greenlight remind me. I don't remember who said this, but a musician, I believe, I don't remember which musician said this, but they said um, basically, you feel like all the hard work is before you get signed to a record label, but that's when all the hard work actually starts. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it kind of reminds it kind of reminds me of that because once you get signed, you're doing concerts, you're doing press tours, you're doing all this stuff that you wouldn't have been doing if you weren't signed. So, yeah, there there are some downsides to the increased visibility of getting on Steam, but you know, I mean, it, it's it's I guess I guess in a lot of ways you have to manage not only your customers' expectations but your own. As well, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's it sounds like a it sounds like a complex juggling act that I am not sure I would ever want to do myself. <laughs> yeah, I can understand it. I, I can really understand it. Um, just also because the high time and money investment also that is required for game development um, and the high stakes involved, I guess, make it sort of. Well, it can make it sort of stressful, I guess. Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess you were at least helped because you had a day job to fall back on. Like this, you weren't putting all of your eggs in this one basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is actually also what I would recommend um, up and coming indie developers to have like a solid base, you know, so that you don't just lose everything if your uh, two-year game development ends up doing nothing, um, and also that you have the solid base on which you can build and um, you know build the game you actually want to make and not the game you are forced to make because of limited resources speaking of making the game you want to want to make um one thing i i've always noticed seems to be a problem with with game development is um sticking to your own vision versus what the players want did you have a problem with that at all? Like, did you? Because uh, I've noticed a lot of times when, like, a game will start a certain way, and then all these players want this certain thing, and then the developer will be like, "Okay, we'll give you this certain thing." It's like, no, that's not what your vision was. Stick with your vision. Yeah. It's your game. Did you have any kind of yeah. problem with that along the way? Yeah, actually, yes. Um, I think the main. How should I put it? Mm. If you look at some of the negative reviews on Steam for the game, um, you will find that many people are um, expecting sort of an arcade game like Space Pirates and Zombies, 
and are sort of overwhelmed by the game's complexity and um yeah so basically if you want to be successful at boss constructor you have to be you know good at building the ship and understanding the mechanics behind it uh, and also you know navigate and fly in a more secure way i guess in a less arcadey way and um, that is sort of hard to communicate but at the same time I feel like if I would make the game more like Space Pirates and Zombies, then it wouldn't really be its own game. So I don't think um, this is sort of a criticism I can address in some way. I mean, I'm I'm trying to address it, for example, by um, making it, um, by allowing the player to re um, assign the commands when your ship gets damaged, for example, which which makes it a lot easier. But still, at some point, um, I cannot really compromise any further without um, yeah, um, abandoning the game's vision, as you put it. Yeah, like I'm looking at one of the negative reviews on Steam right now, and there it looks like their biggest one of their biggest complaints, at least the ones that sticks out to me, is that they said all the missions are the same. I I, I don't see how that's anywhere near true because I found like ever just so many there was there were how many different mission types are there in the exploration mode cuz i i i i ran into at least a few like there was a scanning one and a rescue one and yeah. a, and a destroy this one and a and there were like a bunch of them so how many how many different mission types are in the exploration mode should be about 25 to 30 i don't know the exact number but yeah. uh, if you include the von neumann missions it should be about that number yeah, like I did not have any problem with different mission variation. Like I don't know where this guy is coming from. Maybe he just chose the same type of mission every time. I don't know. I mean, it is also partly subjective. Subjective, yeah. But I mean, if you if you end up like in a really un, um, unfortunate situation, um, you may lose pretty early in the game in the exploration mode, for example, and then you start a new game, and since it's random, you may end up getting the exact same missions, for example. And yeah, if you had that experience with the game, um, I can understand that you wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah, oh. which is which is kind of not fair because that's not what your that's not what your game is offering. And it's kind of funny um, because I I don't understand that criticism at all. <laughs> Because your game has so much variety. Like, we've talked about the exploration mode. We haven't even talked about some of the other modes. Like, guys, if there's not only the exploration mode, there are... If if I'm remembering correctly, there's not there's a skirmish mode and a random sector mode? Am I remembering that right? So there's a couple um, of different types of skirmish modes, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, um, there's a skirmish mode where you can basically... Um, select how the sector should be laid out and uh, ships you want to fight against and so on. Um, then there is the uh, um, the different um, evolution modes and uh, finally the challenge modes where you have a fixed uh, layout and you compete over the time with other players over Steam leaderboards. Yeah, there there are a lot of um, gameplay options here, y'all. Like you could be in this for months <laughs> because the exploration mode, the exploration mode is pretty big. The skirmish mode is very detailed. You can create all different types of sectors and objectives. And now let's talk about the AI and the evolution mode because um, mm-hmm. people might not get that one. What exactly is the evolution mode? Okay, so uh, the basic story involves the von Neumann, which um, do not really construct their ships or design their ships in like a human way, but they have an evolution going on. So basically, parts are added to the ship or moved along the ship or removed from the ship, and um, it is all in a complete undirected way. And uh, in the evolution process, the more, the better mutations, I guess, uh, will be more successful and uh, more successful ships will be more likely to replicate. So it is sort of a very, very simplified version of the natural 
biological evolution idea. And um, well, it is really computationally expensive because um, simulating the game takes a while. But after, if you leave it running for a few hours or or even days, you will get some really really interesting ship designs, which are uh, which don't really look human, which is intended, but which are optimal and also very optimized in their own way. Right now, um, that's the AI. So let's talk about the AI for a minute, because even even in exploration mode, the AI kicked my ass fairly regularly. So, yeah. so how how much work went into the AI and like to make it as challenging as as it is? Mm-hmm. So, basically, the AI consists of two different algorithms, and one algorithm is. Um, responsible for the broad strategy, I guess. So um, it evaluates where the ship should go and what part of the map the ship should avoid. And to do that, it is using a heat map-based approach. So basically, the whole sector is split into different tiles. And for each tile, we calculate how attractive it is. So for example, if the ship is supposed to be aggressive, then the tile where the player is will be of the highest value. And then it is uh, sort of plotting a way to get to the sector where it wants to go in the least um, expensive manner. So basically find the shortest way to the player ship in that case, while also avoiding dangers like um, minefields and asteroids and so on. And then there is a second AI system which is responsible for the um, close-range stuff, I guess. So when we are in range of the player ship, for example, how we have to um, um, rotate our ship so that we can fire at the enemy and uh, also how we can avoid bumping into our allied ships or bumping into asteroids and stuff. Um and it does that basically for arbitrary ship layouts. So, for example, if uh, you build a ship that has many different weapons on the right side, for example, it will automatically detect it and rotate in a way that it can fire from the right side. So, basically, um, there are two different AI systems which work together. And um, they've also undergone a lot of experimentation and tuning to get it to the um, level where it is now. I, if I can add also, um, if you're having trouble at the game, um, I think a, a good general tip is really to fly in a sort of defensive way and also to use the map to your advantage. So uh, if you have an asteroid field, for example, you can use asteroids for cover uh you know, lure the enemy into a minefield. Or you can also damage your own damn self trying to do that very thing, <laughs> which I have done <laughs> on more than one occasion. God damn or it. That. <laughs> <Or> that. <laughs> I, I, there was one time where I was trying to uh, lure an enemy into a minefield, and I think I flew too close to it myself, and it blew apart half my ship. And I was like, ah, you son of it was funny as hell. I was laughing. It was funny as hell. I wasn't mad, but I was like, God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> that was one of the great thing about the, the way the ships are built and the physics engine and everything is that this game can be really hilarious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you see ships fly apart and, and everything, it can be really, really damn funny. <laughs> A lot of uh, sch sch Schadenfreude moments. moments exactly. <laughs> exactly. What a great word. I love that word. Um, so I, I do want to talk one last thing I want to talk about was the uh, the way the maps are uh, generated. Because the maps are, I'm not going to say busy, because that's not the right word. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a negative connotation. But they're very mm -hmm. uh, uh, detailed isn't the right word either. But like there's a lot there. There's minefields, yeah. there's asteroid fields, there's space stations, there's traders, there's, you know, other ships. So, like, mm -hmm. I, 
I guess I want to talk about the procedural generation. Like, is the procedural generation on the galaxy level the same as it is on the sector level, or are there different types of algorithms going here that generate the galaxy and the sector? And there are actually different algorithms, so the galaxy layout doesn't necessarily have to do anything with how a certain sector looks. So um, the sector uh, procedural generation works by taking sort of a laundry list of stuff you want to have on a map. So, for example, three asteroid fields and two minefields. Then it will find a way to arrange these. And uh, in the final step, it will try different spawning positions for the ships that are to be spawned. So it will take great care that ships are not spawned, you know, next to a minefield, which would be pretty unfortunate, but also that uh, ships have um, appropriate distances from each other. So um, here again, it is a lot of trial and error and the game trying out many different variations to find the one which is... um, best in a way that makes sense because yeah the maps are really awesome i gotta say i really like um just how complex the maps can be and how just flat out damaging they can be (laughs) (laughs) well i mean I, I, I basically see where you're coming from, right? Um, I mean, in in real space, it is largely empty, right? I mean, a real-world asteroid field is, I think, one asteroid every million square kilometers or stuff like that. So, right. so it is a, it's a very arcadey version of the universe, of course. And yeah. But, I mean, if you only have, like, empty maps every time, it would be not be be real very boring. interesting from a gameplay. Yeah. yeah, that'd be real boring. So, because uh, I, I, need, I need to get to work soon, so let's start wrapping up. Um, so now that the game is out, it's got positive reviews. Seems to be doing fairly well. Uh, do you have and and you're updating it regularly? Are there any plans for post-release content like DLC or expansions mm-hmm. or anything like that? Actually, yes. Um, there will be a total of three bonus DLCs, which will all be free. So you can nice. currently vote. Suggest and vote for content in game. And, um, yeah, in the course of the next year, I will make and add them to the game. So each, each of these DLCs will be about, you know, two to three modules or so. It's not going to be huge, but it will add, um, add and I guess sort of round up the whole game experience and, um, you know, also provide bug fixes, of course. And, um, improvements to the general game. That's awesome because, I mean, there's already a lot here, but just adding more on top of it would be a better thing. And making that, making that free is just a, just a nice, I mean, that not only builds um, goodwill, but it's also just a nice value add, you know, mm-hmm. uh, talking businessy, but uh, no, that, that is, that is really nice. I mean, I mean, if there, if there were me enough, I couldn't even imagine you charging like a buck for each um, DLC, but then you're making it free is a real is really nice because that, that that that's tough. Some people want like God, I, I swear I don't know if you look at Steam every day like I do, but like when you look at Steam and some games release like 20 pieces of DLC and that's the entire new release list. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need 30 trains for Train Simulator. Cut it out. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I sort of can understand um, paid DLC as a business model in a way. I so I guess for some of these games it makes sense. But uh, yeah. I don't mind if it's like an actual expansion. Like, the like I don't know if you play... Um... Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I don't know if you play like Endless Legend or anything, but they've got they've got a few um seriously expansion level pieces of content they've released or uh which is really nice and they charge for it. Or like Age of Wonders three, they've had like two major expansions. They're not like just little pieces of DLC. These are major expansions. So I don't mm-hmm. mind paying for that stuff if like 
They're like the old school type of expansion you might buy in a separate box. Remember those back in the day? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Alex, that wasn't me. Alex, that was not me. Uh, <laughs> that was actually my. Uh, yeah, that was not oh, me. Nice. Forgot to. No, no worries. No worries. Um, so, no, that's great. So, folks, yeah, let's wrap this up because I, I do have to go. I'm sorry. But folks, the game is uh, is Boss Constructor. You can get it right now on Steam. is fifteen dollars. Um, that's not on sale. And uh, for fifteen dollars, you again, I I can't stress enough just how much content is in this game. I mean, the expedition mode alone would be a full game in other games. But you not only get the expedition mode, which is just massive. But you get a skirmish mode where you can play around with randomly generated maps, and you get the evolution mode where you watch the AI do its thing. It's and not only that, but like the ship constructor alone is like its own game. Really, it's this huge thing. So there's a ton of stuff going on in this game, just a ton, and it's great, and it's fun, and even someone like me who doesn't like building ships likes building ships in this game. So, uh, so yeah, Boss Constructor, it's on Steam now. It is out of early access. Uh, Mirko, I want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, yeah. to, to talk to me in the middle of the, in the middle of the afternoon over in Germany. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. Oh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. I, I love talking to, to great game developers. And again, I want to thank you for your candor about talking about the psychological strain. Of, of being a game developer. We don't get to talk about that uh, very often. So that is that is really nice. Uh, so folks, just a couple of uh, programming notes real quick. Um, Thursday, on our Thursday night stream, real quick, we are going to be uh, taking a little break from Space Games and play Diablo 2. Not 3, 2. Uh, this is requested by Hunter, our, our co-host. Because we haven't played that in a dog's age, and he was reminiscing about how amazing it is, and you can still play it, you can still buy it, you can still play it, which is kind of amazing for a game that old. So, um, so yeah, we're going to be doing that, and then next week on the show, we're because of the upcoming uh, Steam sale and uh, also the the holiday season, we're going to be talking about games you should get that are on sale, what would make good gifts. For the gamer in your life. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. Um, so yeah, I want to thank everyone for listening and watching. And if you haven't yet, just a just as a side, could you throw us a review on like iTunes or something? Because we don't have many of those and we could use more. So uh, yeah, so thank you everyone for listening and watching. Mirko, thank you so much again for joining us. And we will see you. you next Thank time you. on the show uh have a good night everyone or day or wherever you are have a good one <laughs> bye goodbye <laughs> let's have some music in here boiler do a thing Desert skies, your cool touch in the night.